0: And, uh, usually I take short sections, but Hebrews is a, um, such a powerful um, book. Uh, one, we are not real sure. We know the Holy Spirit inspired the book of Hebrews. We're not real sure who wrote it. Some people think it's Paul. Some people think it's Apollo. Some people think it could have been Luke. Um, it's just very difficult. The author does not identify themselves as, in, as typically w- they would. Um, it really deals with covenant. And, you know, one of the things we talked about for this year, our word for this year, is that God says in Exodus 34.10, I will make a covenant with you, and I will do wonders among you. And so we really need to understand the power of covenant, what that really means for you and I. And Hebrews is probably the best book in the New Testament to deal with that subject, because he really, the author really digs in deep on this book about covenant and priesthood and how it all applies and the role of Jesus in our covenant that we have. And uh, so if you have your Bibles, we're going to start right in chapter one, and uh, we're just going to go through the whole book, not, to, not in this service, but uh, the, the whole, and, you know, over the next several weeks, we're going to go through this, and I think it's going to be, I think it can be impacting for you um, and, uh, and be, a real, uh, be a real blessing. Hebrews 1, verse 1, starts with, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets. And he has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, though whom also he made the world Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself, talking about Jesus, purged our sins. I want you to see this now again. Through whom also he made the worlds. So he's talking about Christ, Jesus. Uh, Jesus didn't just come into existence when he was born. He existed. He is God. He was God in the beginning. Um, and the, in the beginning he spoke. He was not God in flesh, but he was God. Nevertheless, the Trinity did not begin at Christ's birth. Okay. Okay. So he preexisted, the preexistent Christ, and so um, the God, and so he made the worlds, being the brightness, that Christ is the brightness of the Father's glory and the express image of the Father's person. And he upholds all things by the word of his power when he made by himself, by, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you, and again I will be a father, and he shall be to me a son. So when we look at the book of Hebrews, one of the things I think that becomes very evident is, is the word better. It just keeps coming up. fact, if you look at chapter eight, uh, if you can look at it another time, but it says that the covenant that we have is established upon better promises, better promises. So you and I have the better, we have the better relationship. We have the better opportunity with God. When we read our Bible and we read about Abraham, or we read about Isaac, or we might read about Moses or Daniel. We think, wow, man, these guys really had something with God, but yet our Bible says in Hebrews that we have a better covenant than they had, established upon better promises than they had. And so for you and I, we have something better. Now, here's the thing, and what we, I, I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. God gave, gives us a better life, but He does not promise us an easier life. Okay? Life is not, you know, look, the plan of God for us was not to have an easy life. That's, That's what man continually tries to do is just head towards easiness, towards ease. Ease, rest is great. Ease is not great because what ends up happening is when we move into the ease of life, we become sloppy, we become undisciplined, and that's not the way God created us. So life is hard. Life is, and you know this, life is difficult, but God did not call you to an easy life. He just called you to a better life. When you became a Christian, you became a Christian not because you were asking for a easier life. You weren't saying, God, I want you to make my life easy. You wanted God to take your sin away so that you could have a better life. Amen? And so that's what God gives to us, is that He gives us a better life. Now, when we look at this passage in Hebrews, the first thing he starts out with is he says, God who at various times in various ways has spoken times past by the fathers, to the fathers, by the prophets, and then he has spoken to us. And I think at times with prophecy especially, it can become very overlooked because the prophecies are fulfilled already. Much of them about Christ are fulfilled except his return and some of the other things that are going to happen in the book of Revelation. But we don't really look at prophecy, how, how amazing prophecy really is in the scripture. It is absolutely phenomenal how powerful prophecy is. There was a guy, a science, a, a professor at Westmont College, and he gathered together 600 university students. He brought them together to weigh all the factors of prophecy, the locations, the timing of everything, and, he, and, he, and he, he, what he was trying to do was to see the probability, the chances of prophecy being fulfilled, okay? The chances of prophecy. Now, probability, some things to think about like with probability. Like for you to win the lottery, it w- the probability is 1 in 292 million, okay? To win the big one now I'm talking about. 1 in 292 million. Now, it's interesting, it's, if, uh, there, if someone did some research on this, the chances of you ha- having some other things happen to you before you would win the lottery, the probability is higher, like, for example, that you would be killed by hornets, wasps, or bees. There's a higher probability of that. Uh, that you would become the President of the United States, which is only one in 32.6 million. So, wow, that's easy, right? That you would become a movie star. The fourth one they came up with was you would go to the emergency room with a pogo stick injury. <laughs> Well, I could tell you, the probability goes up if you have a pogo stick and you're trying to use it, for sure, right? Uh, the, the, the last one they came up with, it, they said the probability of this happening would be uh, greater than winning the lottery is that you would have conjoined twins. So uh, there's a lot of probability. In fact, somebody I one time said that your chances of winning the lottery is about the same as getting hit by lightning. All right? So one in 292 million. Yikes. Well, when we look at the scripture, we see probability. How, what are the chances that something that was said years and years ago, like for example, what Micah said in chapter five and verse two, he said, but you Bethlehem, Ephra, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me, the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth from me are of old from everlasting. So they did a study on this to, you know, they factored in the size of Bethlehem and a male child being born at that, you know, being that all happening. Now, there were about 500 people in Bethlehem at the time that lived there. And what they came back with is, is that the probability of a child being born in the Messiah being born in Bethlehem was one in 300,000, okay? One in 300,000. So to, to understand how that might how that, how that might work for you and I, you know, that, that prophetic idea that there was a very slim chance, one in 300,000. Now, all of the information they put together, and they did a bunch of these, all the information they put together, they uh, gave it to the American Scientific Affiliation who examined all the information and verified that their math was right, okay, that their math was right, the conclusions that they had made were correct. Now... What they decided to do was to take eight prophecies from Scripture and determine the prob- probability of those eight, scripture, eight promise, uh, prophecies. So they estimated conservatively that one man, one man, fulfilling eight prophecies was ten, one in ten to the seventeenth power, okay? One in ten to the seventeenth power. And what that is, is that's a number followed by seventeen zeros. Are you with me right now that's a lot of zeros to illustrate how large that number is a figure was 17 zero the professor gave this illustration if you mark one of ten tickets and place all the tickets in a hat and thoroughly stir them and ask a blindfolded man to draw one his chance of getting the right ticket is what one in ten right so he's got a one in ten chance So to do a 10 to the 17th power, what you would have to do is take, you would have to take that many silver dollars, all right, that many silver dollars, and and lay them on the face of Texas, cover the whole state of Texas. They would cover the state of Texas two feet deep. So what's that, about right that far, all right? You would have to mark one of those silver dollars and stir the whole mass thoroughly all over the state. So you'd have to cover the state of Texas two feet deep with silver dollars. And then there's one that you've taken that you've put a mark on, okay? You put a mark on it. And as you're stirring all these up, the one with the mark is in the two foot deep covering the state of Texas's land mass. And Then you take a blindfolded man, you put him in the center of the state, tell him he can go as far as he wishes, and he can pick up one silver dollar, but it has to be the one with the special mark on it. To accomplish that, they figured, is 10 to the 17th power. So you can just right now in your head say, impossible, right? I mean, it'd be impossible to put someone in a state with a blindfold on. Texas is huge, I mean, I think it's the largest state, isn't it, in the United States? Pretty close. Alaska's the largest, but it's big, okay? And so covering it two foot deep, and then you've got to find one coin, one silver dollar with a mark on it, and you're blindfolded at that. So that was just with eight prophecies. Do you know that Christ, sorry, do you know that Jesus actually, They, they from all of the, thoughts they have about looking at scripture and the prophecies he fulfilled 458 prophecies what do you think the probability of those all being fulfilled are well they're astronomical they're actually beyond even our own ability to comprehend okay so the professor then took the idea and said look we're not going to take the 458 or 456 excuse me we're just going to take 48 prophecies and say, okay, for one man to fulfill those 48 prophecies, all right? We're going to do a conservative estimate of what it would take, and here's what they came out with. 10 to the 157th power. Now, remember, Jesus did 10, had 10, almost 10 times more prophecies that he fulfilled. So the probability of that happening... See, when we look at prophecy, I don't think we see it in the miraculous way that it is. I think we look, well, that happened. Yeah, praise God. But do you know the chances of that happening? Without God's intervention, that would never have happened. I mean, there was no way. Now, I'm not a mathematician. Chuck's far better mathematician than I am. But but look, I understand that, you know, I remember exponents and, you know, 10 to the, you know, second power. And I remember, you know... The numbers get big real quick when you start going something exponentially. You remember that from math, anybody? So they wanted to do 48 prophecies and came up with this at 10 to the 157. So what that is is a number that contains 157 zeros, 157 zeros. So the way the professor explained it was this. Electrons are very small objects. You know, we have atoms, but atoms are made up of, right, electrons. So those electrons are very, very small, okay? Uh, They're smaller than atoms. It would take 2.5 times 10 to the 15th power of them laid side by side to make one inch. So that far it would take for electrons... Now, now, look, I know some of you are probably disconnecting with me right now because you're like, man, that's a lot of math to remember. But I want your mind to be blown. That's, a, you know, okay? I want your mind, I want you to just be like, that. that's just too much. And then I'm going to tell you why that matters. Okay? So 2.5 times 10 to the 15th power, you lay them side by side, that would make one inch. If we counted 250 of these electrons each minute and counted day and night it would take 19 million years to count a line of electrons one inch long okay everybody say impossible so let's go back to our chance of one in 10 to the 157th power let's say that we took this number of electrons marking one thoroughly stirred it into a whole mass of electrons as a blindfolded man to let him try to find the right electron in the midst of all those other electrons, what do you think the chance is that he would pull the right electron out? Impossible. Everybody say impossible. It's not going to happen, right? It's not gonna ha- that. And that's only 48 prophecies. Jesus fulfilled 460-some prophecies, 460, 480 prophecies, depending how you look at it, over 400 prophecies were fulfilled in Christ's coming to this earth and living on this earth and dying the way he died and giving his life. Now, in our mind we think impossible, but this is my point with this is this. Look, when you look at what God did to get Christ here to you, defying all probability, all chance of probability, that God intervened in humanity's life. How much more will God continue to intervene in your life with the miracles and wonders you're believing for this year? If those prophecies were true, then I'm telling you the New Testament prophecies are just as true about what God says about you. Stop doubting that God is going to do what he said he was going to do. Stop doubting it. Stop questioning it. And trust in him. You say, well, I don't understand it, nor do I understand 10 to the 157th power. I don't see how it could happen. And you may have looked at situations in your life right now and said, I don't see how that can change. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's physical. Maybe it's family. It could be anything. I don't see how that can change. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter whether you see it you just need to hang on to the one that already sees it happening in your life. Can I get a good amen? Yeah, yeah. Hallelujah. Well, I preach myself happy. Look at this in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 in the Amplified Version. It's on the screen there. He is the sole expression of the glory of God, the light being, the outrain or radiance of the divine. He is the perfect imprint and very image of God's nature, upholding <clears throat> And maintaining, he upholds, maintains, and guides and propels the universe by his mighty word of power. When he had by offering himself accomplished our cleansing of sins and riddance of guilt, he sat down at the right hand of the divine majesty on high. Hallelujah. He maintains the universe. You know, we don't typically, you know, we know the universe is big and we. We get, you know, like, wow, it's, especially on real starry nights, look out and go, my goodness, this is a... But it's a lot bigger than your mind can comprehend. Our solar system has a diameter of approximately 7.5 billion miles. If we got in a car and we started driving at 65 miles an hour to get across our solar system, it would take you 13,172 years or 30, 338 lifetimes, just our solar system. Astronomers, astronomers say there are over 100 billion solar systems in the Milky Way galaxy alone, and over 500 billion galaxies in the universe, and every one of them is upheld by Jesus, by the power of his word. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hebrews 1.4 says, having become so much better than the angels, he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than any of them had, than they. If you look at the actual Greek text of this verse, it doesn't say that he has obtained a more excellent, by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. The text actually say that he has spoken in his son, not by his son, that God has spoken to us, not, not by his son, but he has spoken to us. Jesus, just the very being of his being here, should speak to you and I and confirm to us that all the promises of God in him are yes and And amen. amen. Why is Jesus better? He is better because the prophets and angels gave the word of God, but Jesus is the word of God. Now you think of how different that is. They talked about him but you and I have experienced him. We have experienced, that's why the scripture tells you that look, there are angels and look, all these people that long to look into what you've got in your life, what you've experienced in your life, the very presence of Christ that has come to you. Tim Keller said this, a great author said, Jesus is truer and the better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is now imputed to us. Jesus was the truer and better Isaac who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was actually sacrificed for you and I. Jesus is the truer and better Moses, who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the truer and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer who intercedes for his stupid friends. Jesus is the truer and better David, whose victory became ours even though we never lifted a stone to help him. He is the truer and better Samson, crushed under the weight of the wicked world to conquer our enemies and save us. He is the truer and better Jonah, who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. He's the real Passover lamb, innocent, perfect, helpless, slain, so that the angel of death can pass over us. He is the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light of he is the true bread. In the end, the Bible's really not about you. It's really all about him being the truer one for you and I, being the one, the better one that we can receive in our lives. Amen. He's better because he came that you and I could experience not just the word of God, but to experience the very person of God because he is the word of God to you and I. He is better because Jesus didn't offer himself for... Jesus did not just offer salvation. He became salvation for you and I. He didn't just offer it to us. You know, in the Old Testament, God offered salvation. He presented it to them. But Jesus became salvation. Religion teaches you and I that salvation comes, that we have to obey, and then we have acceptance with God. Jesus taught that we have acceptance with God and then we will have obedience in our life. He totally changed the way that man looked. We still try to sneak back to the old way where we're still talking about, well, look, you'll be, if you obey and do everything he says, then you'll be accepted. But Jesus came so that you would know that, look, you're accepted. Now your obedience will come because I'm going to help you be obedient and do the things you're supposed to do. 500 years ago, Martin Luther started to preach that Christ had done it all and we needed merely to rest in what he had done. He said, you can't go around telling people that Jesus has paid their sin debt entirely forever. The, the church said, if you take away their fear of hell, they just will do whatever they want. A lot of Christians still believe that today. Think, like, man, if we don't make it hard and we don't make it sound like hell's waiting to take them back, that, it, that, that they won't do what's right. Luther started to decry what he called the damnable doctrine of doubt, which was the idea that only by being threatened with hell will you behave. He said, yes, being afraid of judgment will produce obedience on the surface, but beneath the obedience is a river of fear, a river of pride, and a river of self-interest. The only way to develop real love for God is to have fear removed. Amen. He said, the real fruits of righteousness grow in the soil of assurance, knowing that I'm accepted by God. And as I'm accepted by God, now I can be obedient to live the truth. It's like, like Chuck talks about with grace. Grace is the ability to produce the, what the truth demands of us. It's that ability of God. It's not about us will-worshipping ourselves to do all the right stuff. It's about being accepted by God, receiving the grace that he and love that he has for us, and then we are able to respond back by living a life of obedience before him. You know, if you take a metal bar, you know, a steel bar, and you take that bar and, you, and I begin to put pressure on that bar, that bar will bend. It'll start you know, the integrity of that bar will allow me to bend it. But the minute I take the pressure off the bar, what's going to happen to it? It's going to go back, right? It's going to go back to its original form. That's what it looks like for a lot of believers. They're allowing pressure to try to push them. It depends what pressure they're under. Come to church, pressure is to be a Christian. Go to the world. Pressure is to become whatever they're pressuring you to be, whatever they're pushing on you to be. And you snap back every time to this original deal. Look, you can't change because of pressure. You will for a while, but not permanently. But here's what has to happen. God has to melt the bar He has to break down the bar to the new form. He has to take it, and that takes heat. And that's what the gospel is. The gospel is the fire that melts the heart of man. As one person said, the fire to do in the Christian life comes from being soaked in the fuel of what has been done. It's you and I receiving what has been done by Christ, the love that he gives to us that causes us to respond back. You know, the woman that was caught in adultery, it's a, such an amazing story. Because when she was in John 8, because, and it blows theology out of the water in a lot of ways because they bring her to be stoned. Basically, you know, they've caught her in adultery and brought her and told Jesus, you know, what should the, Bible, the scripture says do this, right? Kill her. She should be stoned here. And Jesus responds back and says, you know, he that is without sin cast the first stone. Well, When they all leave, he looks at the woman and says, where are your accusers? Now watch this now, watch what he says. Where are your accusers? And she says, they're all gone. And what does he say to her? Neither do I accuse you. He didn't say, well, if you're sorry for what you did. Now watch this, now you've got to look this up, this will help you. He didn't say, well, look, you need to, are you sorry for being an adulterous woman? He said, no, you're, he said, you're, they don't condemn you, and neither do I condemn you. Now watch what he says after that. Now go your way. Perfect acceptance. Perfect obedience. The law teaches obedience to acceptance. And the church has struggled. Luther tried to beat, I mean, look, tried to beat, I know, look, I know pastors that still are preaching, condemning hard, you're gonna go to hell messages to the church trying to make them afraid to go sin. And all I think it does is puts pressure on them to do good while they're there. I think of what I grew up in. You know how many times I went to the altar for the same sins? Huh? Over and over and over. And over. And I really did want to change, but I never understood that I was accepted. I only thought I was accepted if I did if I did what was good. But God says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. We're so worried about that. Well, you know, if we don't preach a hard message, then people will just go do whatever they want. Not if they're truly experiencing the love of God in their life, they won't. Not if they're playing games, absolutely they will. If they're just bending to peer pressure, they will. The fire to do in the Christian life, to do what's right in the Christian life, comes from being soaked in the fuel of what has been done through Jesus Christ. Now in Hebrews 2, verses 1 through 4, it says, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard. We've heard this. He said, "Lest we drift away, for if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect the greatest salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard Him? God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to His own will." So just some final thoughts here with this. Do not neglect God's final word in Christ. He is the love of God personified to you. Do not neglect. Don't let, see he talks about here in chapter two, don't, let, don't neglect this in your life. Don't neglect this. It's not just a, a, a phraseology that we use in the church that God loves you. It's understanding, look, what it took for God To make happen what happened. That's that probability issue again. The miraculous. We think if I do everything right, then I will receive my miracle. And God says, look, one, you're not going to change my mind about you. I already have accepted you. Two, I've already decided to do my miracle because that miracle because it's in my word. Not because you did the right thing. See, do you, notice how, do you notice how bad that is, what we say when we think, if I do what's right, then God will do, my, will, will do a miracle for me? You know, because that means you're controlling the narrative, not God. That means you no longer are trusting him. You're trusting in you and your ability. It's like this, you know, look, it, 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 it's, 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 it's something we fall into. It's a trap. We somehow think, man, if I, just got, if I just, you know, if I quote these 10 verses every day for the next 20 years, I'll, I'll have this. If I do this, I'll be protected from COVID. If I do this, I'll be protected. My money will be good. If I do this, and, and look, I do believe in giving tithes and offerings because I'm accepted. My offering is accepted before the Lord. I mean, we're serving under an open heaven. Can I get a better amen? amen. But I'm not coming with my offering to say, God, I hope you accept me. And my gift because look what we call what we call that when you bring money to try to get someone to like you what do you call that that's a bribe you cannot bribe God with your offerings it all depends on who's the center of the story are you the center or is God the center is your miracle about God doing what he said he would do then all you've got to do is just say, I got that, I'm not gonna neglect the love that God has for me. He wants my kids saved. He wants my husband saved. He wants my wife saved. He wants my body well. He wants me to be blessed and prosperous because he has made that choice, not because I made that choice. I just choose the chooser. Elizabeth Elliot said, think about this. If the distance between the earth and the sun is 92 million miles, and it was the thickness of one sheet of paper as an example, then the distance from the earth to the nearest star would be a stack of paper 70 feet high. And the diameter of our galaxy would be a stack of paper 310 miles high. Our galaxy is only one speck of dust in the universe. And if there is a person who holds all that together by the word of his power... That would be Jesus Christ that keeps all that together. Your miracle worker, your healer, your deliverer, the one who has defied. Wouldn't you agree that if somebody did something that was one to the 157th power, they have defied the laws of nature and probability? That they have defeated, they have overcome it because there's no way that it could happen. But yet, Christ did that. So he tells us, look, don't neglect the miraculous that's happened here already for you just so you could get saved. It's not just about, you know, the baby in a manger. There's a miracle that's happening here. Not only is God with us, Emmanuel, but all the probability, all of the things that are being fulfilled, all the things that are being established for you and I. He said, don't neglect it. And then he said in that verse, and don't drift away from it. Don't let yourself drift away. Sometimes life, because it gets difficult, we do drift a little bit. You know, we we go through a bad time, something difficult happens, something's not working out the way we want. It's not that we walk away from it, just that slow drift. You know, there was a song a couple years ago, The Slow Fade. You know, it's just that I'm disappointed and this hasn't happened and this hasn't taken place. Well, I think why that we get that drift in our lives is because we're looking at the wrong things. We're not looking at the miraculous, wonder-working God that we serve. We're looking at the problem that still is the same. And we begin to believe that God is not the same yesterday, today, and forever, but our problem is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, there's two types of people here today. One saying... I have so much joy, God has blessed me. Man, I'm telling you, I have so much joy in my life because God has blessed me. And then there's a second kind of person who's saying, my heart is broken. We never forget that there are people around us that have broken hearts. But here's what they should say. My heart is broken, but Christ is better. But Christ is better. My heart, you know, the church I just was at, uh, in Marietta, they had six people that died this last year from COVID in the church. My heart breaks for that pastor. My heart breaks for the congregation. Look, that's not easy, that's grieving, man. That's, you know, it's hard. When Chuck and I went to Rwanda, and there wasn't a single person we dealt with that's somebody in someone's family that wasn't executed or burned. But here's what you have to focus on our hearts may be broken. But Christ is better because he is the healer of the broken heart. He is the miracle worker. And I had this thought, and I'll just close with this this, as I was writing these notes down. It never hurts us to prepare for what we are not prepared for. It never hurts us. We don't know. You know, I know a lot of people saying, 2021 is going to be great. Well, you know, awesome. And, And you know what? I'm believing for that. But it never hurts to prepare for what you're not prepared for. And when difficulty comes, and it will somehow, or the thing you're believing God for looks like it's just getting much, much worse than what it was. To prepare for that, we remind ourselves that God, Christ is better. That Christ is better. And that if I look to Jesus, I'm always with the answer already. If my heart is set on Christ, then I'm already with the answer that I need for whatever's going on around me. And you know, there'll be a lot of great things happen this year. There'll be, you know, it's just life. There'll be good things, bad things. You know, it's like the Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens. It's the best of times, it's the worst of times, right? But here's what's consistent. My God loves me, accepts me. And no matter how bad it gets, and it's gotten bad a few times. I can, he's as close as the mention of his name. In death and life, no matter what happens, he said, we're more than conquerors because of the love that Christ has for us. Can you say amen? I want you to stand with me this morning. Praise God. Wow. Wow. Well, if anything, you got a math lesson today. But, you know, as I looked through all that, I kept thinking to myself, I felt kind of ashamed of all the times I've just thought that God wasn't going to do something he said he was going to do. That I wondered, where are you, God? And Why is this changing? Because he is who he says he is. And he does what he says he does. He established a covenant with you, my friend. Your healing is already established in heaven. Don't ever think you've got to convince God. you just got to be obedient and receive it. Amen. He's not in heaven going, well, I don't know. Do I want to heal him? Gabriel, what do you think? Should we heal him? I don't know, you know. I don't know. Because he has nothing, all, it has, all that your part is faith, which is in his word. Saying, Lord, here I am to receive that. Fear that's working so hard in our communities today is all about taking the focus off of who Jesus is and putting it on mankind. I love what the the proverb says, some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we will trust in the Lord our God. And we must be so thoughtful. Where is my mind today? What is my heart set upon? It's time to get back into that place with Christ and the love that he has for you. Stop worrying about what's not in your control. And trust the one who is ultimately spoken his word, which will be the last word. Amen. Hallelujah. Bow your heads with me for just a moment. Father, I pray today, and Charlie, go ahead and get ready. Father, I just pray, Father, that this word, Lord, and and it would just really get into the hearts of your people this year. Lord, as we walk through the book of Hebrews, Father God, that we would realize just how wonderful and how powerful it is what you have done for us, that we, Lord God, would stop living a life where we think we have to be obedient to be accepted. But, Lord, realize that out of that acceptance, that perfect love that casts out all fear, according to the book of John, Lord, that we actually can walk in the obedience of your word. Lord, we humble ourselves in your sight today, Lord, knowing the greatness and the goodness of who you are, knowing that you are an impossible God who does impossible things, far be even on our own intellect and understanding. As it says in Ephesians 3, verse 20, you are able to do exceeding abundantly above everything we could ask or think according to your power that is at work within us. So thank you, Father, that, Lord, as we have this time at the altar, at the end of this service, Father, that, Lord, your impos- those things that have looked impossible to men, we realize how possible they are with you